Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Dylan Conroy, your host of the Ad Podcast, and I'm sitting here in beautiful Laguna Beach, California at the CMO Summit. And we have a really great guest today. We have Mike Linton, the Chief Marketing Officer of Farmers Insurance. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, Dylan. How are you doing? Very good. So, Mike, would you take us through just a little bit of your resume? You've had a really impressive career, and don't have to go line by line, but uh, some of the salient points, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, hey, Dylan, but thanks. It's, it, yeah, it's been a fun career and a fortunate one for the most part. I was lucky enough to go right from grad school to PNG in brand management, and I can do laundry probably better than just about anybody you know because <laughs> uh, one of my brands was a bleach brand. Did some other jobs in both general management and marketing at Russell, James River, and then a private equity play, and ended up as Best Buy's first ever CMO starting in early 1999. Went from there to eBay as a GM and then CMO. Ended up doing a startup and then got convinced by an old friend to go to Farmers and become their CMO. And I've been doing that for over seven years now. Nice. It's been fun. A lot of different industries and brands, but almost always I found the whole consumer challenge quite fun. It seems like you've definitely moved into some unique and very different sectors. You've gone from P&G, which is 90% of their products are about dirt removal, to something amazing like Best Buy. Really, it sounded like you were at the inception of that company when you were really taking that brand. From oh, Canada. not inception. They, were, they, <laughs> they have been around a, a, a pretty long time. Yeah. And I just was fortunate to get to them when they were experiencing massive kind growth. Of a, a, yeah, a massive growth. And they had turned around from a very tough financial position in 96 and 97. They were open to all kinds of new ideas and they had imported a lot of different players from other industries and there was a lot to create and it happened to coincide a lot with the digital revolution which was pretty cool to watch that come into the store. Seems like you probably left that space at the right time to look at what's happening in the modern world of what they call retail apocalypse and you think you saw a little bit of the writing on the wall coming or was that just good luck and the right, right, I, place, I, right I time? I think a lot of my career is, <laughs> a lot of my career is good luck versus sure. any exceptional things. I left because I'd been there a long time and, and I, I was convinced that it's probably time to do something new. And the company did not do that well a couple years after I left, but has recovered fabulously. And I think it's doing really well now. Reinvented a lot of its efforts again in a way that my hat's off to the management team there and how they adopted to a changing retail environment and kept themselves out of the, out of the re retail apocalypse. I really love Best Buy personally. I did have an interesting experience there recently. Both microphones you're speaking into right now came from Best Buy. One in San Diego, which was an amazing experience. And that's why I go to Best Buy for that customer experience and that knowledge set. And then the other one, the one that you're speaking into right now, I bought because I forgot my microphone when I went to Toronto to interview the CMO of Shopify. Mm -hmm. And I went into a Best Buy there and it took talking to three different people to get any kind of knowledge about the product, even understanding what a microphone was or what a podcasting microphone was. Do you think, are we challenged in the associate level of retail now and creating that brand experience? How do you translate a brand you're trying to build at the top end through really great marketing and creative that sings and then really push that down to frontline workforce that's in the store creating that customer experience? Dylan, if it's all right with you, I'd broaden that question and say, how is marketing and customer experience for any brand interrelate? And what I would say is the expectations of brands are the customer experience is a really big part of the brand and consistent customer experience across 
thousands of touch points that the big big brands have, particularly large service retail brands. That's a challenge because you have all your call centers, you have all your employees, and you have literally millions of touch points and contact times, whether it's digital, mail, in person, or on the phone, those touch points all matter mm-hmm. and they add up. And they add up either positively or negatively. What I think one of the challenges now is integrating all your customer experience across all your channels in the way the consumer is happy and delivering that in a consistent fashion. Making it uniform. So no matter where you experience the brand, that come away with the same messaging consistency. And the, and the same feeling. experience. There's yeah. the messaging. <laughs> the messaging you can make pretty consistent, particularly as you lay out what your brand is about. The interactions are much more challenging to make consistent. And the other thing I will say is customer expectations have justifiably risen in terms of what they would expect from an omni-channel experience and what they would expect from various interactions with employees or call centers or digital anywhere. If you go back 15 years ago, you did not expect your digital footprint to align with anything else. You were kind of just maybe amazed Uh that all this stuff could happen digitally. Not and surely not on pay by phone 15, 20 years ago. That was crazy. Now you have an expectation that all that will occur and that that will occur not just across tech brands, but across any brand you choose to spend your money with or your time with. And that to me raises the ante in customer service and customer experience. And that across an entire massive footprint of any big brand is a challenge. So I want to switch a little bit to your role at Farmers today. I had the benefit of getting the opportunity to interview the chief marketing officer of RPA recently. Mm. And he spoke a little bit to the work and the relationship that you guys have had and really as a differentiator for their agency, long-term relationships with clients that have been instances of farmers, brands like Honda, they've had these really, really lengthy relationships. He also spoke a little to, without getting into super specific things about your strategy, but the fact that farmers is outspent by a very high category in the insurance space as far as media, but your creative is much more effective from a lot of the KPIs that they measure from the amount that you guys spend versus competitors. Can you talk to a little bit about the creative and the strategy that you guys have in market today and why it's maybe a little bit more effective than some of your competitors? One, I do respect the marketplace a lot and the insurance industry spends over six billion measured <laughs> dollars. And a, a lot of the work in, in the industry is good. Yeah. And it spends insurance spends more than beer and everything else. So it's a very, very competitive and fascinating category because all that money is going against all the consumers everywhere in a, in a pretty intense way. I will also give a shout out to RPA and my brand team for delivering what I think is really solid strategy and advertising into that marketplace in a way that gives us a, a, a good chance. The other thing I will say when I think about marketing, I think it is is not just the marketing you see. It's all the data below that marketing. And also for us, it's our agents in the field and what they do in their local community. And we think of all that as our, our big marketing push. And we try to be very consistent in how we deliver the message of the brand in a way that we are reinforcing the knowledge our agents have and our agent's ability to help navigate customers through what is a pretty complicated category. And then I I think RPA and the brand team have done really a strong job at, and and the research team as well, 
in figuring out how to make our advertising and money go as far as possible in what is a very competitive category. I think about brand and the idea of a product like insurance where the product itself is invisible. Insurance at the end of the day is about peace of mind. It's about knowing that you've got, that your provider has your back when in one of your main interactions when you actually have to use the product is when you're in a, essentially a state of crisis in most instances, whether it's a major accident or even a fender bender or something like that. It's a traumatic experience. How important is it to have that customer experience be one that the client walks away with and has that touch point with the brand that is a really strong feeling that you guys have their back essentially. So I think insurance is a different product than a lot of other products I've, I've been in because you buy it, but your hope is that you actually never have to <laughs> use it. But it, you buy it actually, yes, for peace of mind, but also to protect your assets. In the case of life insurance, to protect your family. But when you buy it, your goal is really to hope that you don't have to use it. When you think about the customer experience, there's the whole customer experience of buying the product and then billing and everything else. And then there's the claims experience where I think farmers is, is really excellent, particularly in what regular claims, but also in when there's a catastrophe, I, I would say our, our claims team would be second to none in terms mm -hmm. of, of how they handle that. All that said, anytime you are in a cat or anything severe, even, even anything that just disrupts your life, it is a traumatic experience for the user of the product, mm -hmm. which is different than when you bought a TV at, at say, Best Buy. I'm going to change directions a little bit. For a, quite a while, you had a column in, in Forbes, I just believe one it, was. it was. Just one year. Just one year, yeah. Just <laughs> Dylan, that was not, like, my entire pay was a subscription <laughs> to Forbes in the magazine. So it wasn't like that was some massive column. It was just a column I wrote for fun that Forbes asked me to write. Gosh, that was like 2001. I want to say 10. Someone like me gets to go through and do the research for a podcast. It's great because you have source reference to read through and to kind of understand a little bit about your thinking. And it was really interesting because you were speaking to a segment that was maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, but a lot of the lessons I feel like still apply in the current market, even 10 years later and how much has changed just in the last 10 years. But can you tell me some of the elements of what you think a unicorn business looks like? One of the things about any business, a unicorn or a small business is it's going to prosper if it has a value proposition that matters to the customer, a value proposition that can scale, and a continued ability to keep that value proposition ahead of competition, meaning it doesn't just become one of many. It is still a different business and delivers a benefit a value proposition consistently at the edge of its customer need. If you, you are in the right category, then you become a unicorn. And you, you can anybody can see all the unicorns running around. Then you can go back 20 years and see the unicorns that are, are now like Google and Apple and everything else. But what I would say is, or, or, or Nike, those brands had a value proposition that they delivered and they continued to invest in that value proposition in a way customers wanted to keep buying them and they owned that value proposition essentially. And you also said uh, marketing is like making a martini. Can you tell me a little bit what you meant by that? One of the challenges for any marketer, I would say, is mixing the right drink for the marketplace and the customer and the company. The column is why marketing is like making martinis, but it was designed to say there is a measuring part of marketing and there's also a art to marketing. So there's a science and art where you are mixing up the creative the messaging and the math in a way that you are delivering something for your customer and your company in what is almost always a competitive market where 
consumers are getting a lot of messaging and their medias are continuing to fracture. When I think about it, or one of the ways I've thought about it in the course of my career is you're essentially mixing a complicated martini with lots of ingredients. I, I think for that article, I took apart a cosmopolitan. And if you try and math the exact ingredients in any martini, you could conclude that a lot of those ingredients are not actually driving the business. Do you really need a martini glass for a martini? <laughs> it's not really, the martini glass is not really delivering the drink. No. It's just, it's showcasing. It's user drink. experience. You know, do you need swizzle sticks? And do you need really fancy this and all? Do you need all this other stuff? The point of that article was you should math whatever you can math in your marketing mix. That is almost always all the performance marketing and surely you could do brand tracking and all kinds of research. But you can't rely 100% on that math because the consumer doesn't necessarily buy your math. They buy the entire drink. And that drink is mixed up in a way that they want the whole drink. And if you just start cutting everything out, the thing in the article was, if you just go to what is math-based, you will have a martini made with either gin or vodka, and that's pretty much it in a straight glass because that is your most effective tool. Gets the Essentially, down. that's what the customer is buying the most is, is that drink. But if you step back, they're not just buying the vodka or the gin and the martini. They are buying the entire experience of that martini. And in addition, the surroundings of the martini at your establishment. And you have to think about that. You can't just maximize the ingredients in the martini till you get to the single one that is the most important and cut out all the others because that's not how consumers consume a brand. We've been here in Laguna this week talking a lot about the CMO's role inside of the C-suite and how your job is the one that's most visible to the rest of the company and that everybody experiences advertising, therefore everybody has opinions of things that are in market and how you should be doing your job. Can you talk a little bit more to that element of that heightened awareness that the company has of every little thing you're doing and how everybody has an opinion based on what their uncle said or what their mom said or their kids think? I don't think it's exactly that. <laughs> what I would say is you almost always for your brand have passionate consumers in the marketplace, but you also have another passionate group about your marketing and that's your company. The company cares a lot about its own marketing because it's, it's highly invested in that brand and it works there. So it will have a lot of opinions, justifiable that happens. One of the things I think you need to do is, is manage that in the company in a way you are explaining the company what you're doing and why and you're also letting the company give opinions on everything but not mess up the marketing story you're trying to tell because there is no marketing that everyone agrees on is right anywhere at any time even in your own department and i'm sure not at an agency there's always a better different choice you can make and there is no as I, in my head there is no perfect marketing you're just trying to get in the right direction and keep building on it so part of our, your job as a CMO is to manage that. I did write a column going back to the Forbes piece of why the short shelf life of CMOs, mm -hmm. because in general, CMO tenure is, is one of the shorter, if not the shortest, in the C-suite. Which you've been able to buck the trend a bit. Huh? <laughs> a, a little bit, but sometimes you're lucky. One of the reasons is all marketing for almost all brands is designed to be visible to as many consumers as possible, especially in B2C. That means you can see not just your own category and your own stuff, but essentially the entire marketplace's work. Meaning you see fabulous marketing every day as a consumer. When you're in any industry, your company's paying intense attention to that. And also marketing is usually a window of strategy. So you would expect everybody in the company to be watching it. 
since everyone's consuming it, everyone does have an opinion because marketing is designed to drive an opinion. <laughs> and a lot of that opinion comes back to you. And I think one of the challenges as marketers to manage that in a way that the company feels good about your marketing, but that you stay on the right path for the brand. Because as a CMO, your job is to deliver today's numbers and protect tomorrow's business. And today's numbers is really, you gotta drive sales this quarter, this year. But you're also trying to position the company and the brand in the way that you can drive sales the next year and the year after that, meaning you're trading off long and short-term tools all the time and trying to explain that to the company in a way they get it. And that just goes with the job. And you talked a little bit about the idea of who gets to vote and who doesn't. What is the set of criteria that you measure against things that you bring in wider consensus versus stuff that you're going to just say, no, I really know this is good and it's going to work and I don't need to build that coalition and let everybody weigh in. So uh, there's a couple of things I would, th I would say about marketing is to be noticed, you usually have to do something kind of interesting. Commercials that we talked about earlier with RPA and that we know from experience campaign with J.K. Simmons as yeah. Professor Burke, <laughs> that we actually crowdsource that from our claims and agent folks. And, and then we kind of, we do take a little, we, we kind of plus it up and funny. So those are based on real Those stories. are all based on real wow, claims. that's awesome. But we crowdsource that from the company. But your marketing has to break through. The sea of messaging that is across all media and then including all social and everything else if your marketing isn't interesting in some way, it won't break through. Interesting almost always means there are some people are going to find it less cool or less fun or less interesting than others. If you let everybody vote on things like that, what you will get is a very dull piece of marketing. So I think you can have a lot of voters on things that is, are designed to break through because the more people you ask, the more opinions you get. And if you try and answer all those opinions, they get what down. you will do, you'll take out all the edge yeah. in your marketing, all the interesting stuff. You don't want a lot of voters on, on a lot of things, especially that are, are creative and designed to break through to customers because then you will pull down to the average and the average won't break through. There's other things where you need the company to come and play. For example, customer experience. There you want a lot of company involved in those decisions because it is the company delivering that benefit. So when I think about it, I like to think about how, how, what's the benefit we're trying to do? What's the consumer effort we are trying to deliver? And then who needs to be have an opinion in that? Let's get that done. I like to think the more the company is involved in the actual delivery, meaning anything like customer service, a lot of the digital work you have to do that involves other departments, there's a lot of people that you need aligned with what you're doing. When you're talking to the customer from the messaging standpoint and everything else, I usually would like you know less voters than one. I, I will say in my career, I've, I've always been excited. I think the consumer business and the marketplace have always been interesting since it, forever to me. I was interested in it when I was in grad school at Duke. I'm still interested in it today. And one of the things that I think makes the marketing B2C in particular really fascinating is Every year, there's new tools that come into the marketplace. When I started at Procter, cable TV was just really getting going. Yeah. And that was like a mind blower. And you could <laughs> actually start segmenting things by zip code. And that was incredible. And, and you fast forward to now, and you see all the different medias and all the different channels that have developed. And marketing has to develop along with those in a way that it's usually at the front end of where the company, the customer, and technology meet. And that is a really fun place to be. It's challenging because a lot of those things, when they come into the market, you're not exactly sure what to do with them. 
but it's fun to be on the cutting edge of that and try and figure it out. And, and I've always thought one of my jobs is figure out which of these technologies is right for my brand and my company at this time, and then move into the technology in a way I don't move too fast and I don't move too slow so that the company is right along with where my customer base is and maybe a step or two ahead if, if we can do that. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys do. Well, thanks. Thanks, thanks for, for coming on me. the show. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. That's all the time we have for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or share it with a friend or give us a thumbs up on social media. Also, if you take a minute to review us on iTunes, it helps us get found by a lot more people. And if you have a suggestion for a guest for an upcoming episode, don't forget to email me or leave a comment below. That's all we got for this week's. See you next time.